welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is mm-hmm. a December 6th edition, Monday night edition of the pod. It's been a fun week here of Ducks hockey. I feel like the Ducks now have an addiction to back and forth games with multiple lead changes and shootouts, overtimes, everything in between. And Jake, I think that we are all the better for it. This has been fun. It's what is what is this? What is um what is uh watching hockey and it being fun? I, I don't understand what this is. My brain can't compute it after the last <laughs> two years. What it what is it to have a I, I don't know what it feels like to have a player that's actually so exciting where I mean we'll get into it more, but I mean the Ducks obviously lost in a shootout to the Capitals tonight. But um even when the Ducks were going through bad stretches, Trevor Zegris is just so good. And it's just so entertaining to watch and it's just a treat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that what we're finding out, there's a couple of things that I want to just lead the show off with. Just a couple of a couple of statements, a couple of conclusions that I've come to over the last week. Conclusion one, I think that the Ducks are a good team at this point in time. I Correct. think they are I think they are a good team. I think that they are turning in performances that are that that ob- objectively check out and they're doing they're doing this without some of their best players. Like, like for example, tonight, the game that we will recap in all of its glory, the Ducks bowing out in a shootout against the Capitals, they played a pretty even five-on-five game without Adam Henrique and Ryan Getzloff, two of their top six forwards. And if you look at their top six, need I remind you that one of those lines, at least to start the game, <laughs> was Sam Steele, Vinny Letary, and Troy Terry. Now, you know, on Letary ended up scoring... And it ended up being okay, but that first period is real rough, and on paper, it's just not pretty. Yeah, oh, and they... also, and also, Buddy Robinson. Oh, making and his and also, if if you're of the opinion like me that even though the lines were listed with that as the first line, the top yeah. six was the Isaac Lundstrom line and the Trevor Zegers line, that still means that Derek Grant's in your top six. So yeah, exactly. Like, this... there's no there's no winning scenario. Here. No, no. And, yeah, at least based on how the lines were constructed. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, the point is they are doing this. They're playing this this well of hockey without the, those bigger name players, and I think it's just you. What other conclusion is there? You can't say that yeah. they're not good. Well, they're, they've they're clearly better than that. They you could say maybe they're a bit more of a middling team, but mm-hmm. I think there's they might be slightly slightly above that. Like there's enough talent on this team to make me believe that. Well, I think what you have to look at here. So for those that don't know, I mean, I feel like every week we kind of check in on this because it's fun to check and see. The Ducks currently sit at 14th in the league, and this does not include tonight's game at 50.54% expected goals, 4% or 50.46 expected goals, 4 percentage. So they've actually finally ticked their way above 50%, which I don't know when the last time that would be the case. Um, And so they finally gotten above 50%, which is really impressive, especially after the start to the season that they had. Um, And so it just kind of goes to show where they've got come from and how far they've come and what they're doing right now. And now granted tonight, I think it was 45% expected goals for percentage, but I think the context of looking at the situation, the capitals are a good team. They're a top 10 team in terms of controlling play and the ducks with their kind of, I mean, let's just kind of be honest about this with two lines filled with AHLers pretty much. Um, we're able to keep up with them and compete with them. And that just goes to show the, I think the growth in both the game from some of these players along with, I think that we're going to have criticisms that we'll get into, but I think there is some growth from Dallas Akins that we saw in, over this stretch. And I think that he does need to be commended for that because I mean, 
we're some of the harshest critics that there are of him. And it's also important to commend him when you can. Also, by the way, Dan Elder, our good friend, is in the Twitch chat and says hi to you. Hello, Dan. Um, <laughs> conclusion number two, after conclusion number one, that the Ducks are, are good. Conclusion number two is that Trevor Zegers is already a star in the NHL. Agree He's all elite, baby. <laughs> all right. So moving on from that, that reference, the thing with Zegers is that it's it's beyond, you know, because when we define, you know, when we call them a star or a star in the making, maybe in a few weeks ago, a lot of that was just the, I guess, the, the flash that he brought, the the marketing, I mean, really the marketing hit that he is for the league. And, it, and that was a, a, a part of it as well. But now you can remove that from the equation entirely. And just simply looking at the on ice product and what he's doing in all three zones, might I add, he's not just an offensive guy. He's already, I would say, a bona fide first line center in this league. So, your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And it's one of those things where people are going to get on him. And I think the broadcast crew even did this about his game in terms of his defensive game or lacking or things like that. But I mean, he played so first off in uh, at five on five, he played like 20 minutes tonight. And I'm currently looking at evolving hockey, which is just only allows you even strength. So it includes three on three. So that's going to skew it a little bit, but he, out of all the centers on the ducks, let's see very quickly right here. The only center to allow less expected goals against was Sam Carrick who played eight minutes as compared to the 21.8 minutes. Mm -hmm. So kind of that goes to show, and it was 0.48 to 0.31. So that goes to show just how good Trevor Zegers has been, not only offensively, but defensively. He's been one of the best centers for the Ducks. I mean, it goes back to that kind of old adage that when we started getting advanced metrics and started looking at it more, and I think it was, uh, what was it, Uh, Dave, Dave Tippett? Yeah, um, had the quote, I believe it was about Keith Yandel or who knows. I don't think it was ever confirmed who it was about, but I'll take the guy who is never defending in their zone and is known as kind of being a defensive liability over the guy who's known as being a defensive stalwart. And he's only known uh, for being that because he's always in it, stuck in his own defending. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what kind of Zegris's way of defending is, is that he's able to poke the puck. He doesn't necessarily, he's not the biggest body, the strongest guy, anything like that, but he's crafty enough where he's able to get the puck off of guys and that leads the transition into the offensive zone. And then once he's transitioning into offense, he never is defending as a result of that. And so it's one of those things where it's almost like you have to switch the way that you think about the game. You don't want to think about it as the guys who are quote unquote defensively solid, like a Derek Grant or someone like that. The reason why they get that uh, that uh, reputation is they're always caught defending. They're always in the defensive zone. And so you would rather have a guy like Zegers who maybe has some flaws, sure, in the defensive zone. Maybe there are things that he needs to work on. But overall, when he's on the ice, the Ducks are getting significantly more chances than the other team, and that's what you want in order to win hockey games. Yeah, and I think it, it bears mentioning, like right now, when Trevor Zegras is on the ice, that the, the scales are tilted in the Ducks' favor. Yeah. If you look, if you look at the stats, I mean, it's kind of absurd. And, and you can go down the line because – there's guys that have great numbers and what they have in common is that they're playing with Trevor Zegers. I mean, Sonny Milano right now is almost at a 60% expected goals for percentage when he's on the ice. And so just so everyone understands 50% break even that's, that's the bare minimum. That's what you're shooting for is just for at least to play out as a tie when you go out there in terms of the shots for and against. Mm -hmm. And then 51% is good. 52% is better. But the more you go up, the closer you get to 55 and beyond, now you're starting to get into like rarefied air because there's only so many guys that can get up there. And so even though it might not seem like a lot, it's a, it's a big difference because 
every percentage that you're adding is a ton of shots less against you or yeah. more for however your the, the percentage breaks down so zegris is at 56.11 like when he is out there the ducks are just controlling the game so real quick i, I don't want to dive back into this too much but i think it's something that's worth mentioning from a couple weeks back jake is just out here settling scores this season 100 percent. how bad in hindsight does the decision to have nick delore play with trevor zegris look well, yeah. Because- it, I mean, even in the moment, it was horrible. But yeah. now, ever since, and and part of it is obviously Ricardo Kell's just a really good player. But once you put a guy with some offensive talent online with Zegers, look at how they explode. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Ricardo Kell's been great. Yeah. Um, but I think, and he and he is a very good. I mean, I think he's definitely well above replacement level. He's but been very need- underrated the last couple of years because he hasn't necessarily been able to play with talent that, that are able to complement his game necessarily. But like, what's the baseline? Like what's the minimum amount of talent that you would need just to, just yeah. to have this level of performance from well, a, from a, a Zegris Milano duo. I think that we've seen that Nick Delorie is not that. I mean, so here, here just kind of for everyone, Nick Delorie is actually the worst uh, player on the ducks in terms of expected goals, four percentage at five on five at 41.35%. And this is with a sample size of minimum time on ice of 50 minutes. Um, so that just goes to show that Zegris and, and Milano were saddled with essentially the worst five on five player on the team. Mm-hmm. And they were still able to find a way to produce goals, which is in some ways very impressive, but it just kind of goes to show of once you sur- uh, surround talent, um, w- once you surround essentially talented players with other talented players, they're able to really thrive and be able to score more. And um, I mean, it's kind of a shame that that this wasn't done earlier, and then Zegris kind of was had to find ways to produce with Delore on his line. But now he's able to thrive and really prove a point to the rest of the the NHL, basically. Because I mean, what was it, ten games ago, maybe when the, I feel like I saw conversations that. Basically, the the Calder was locked up for Lucas Raymond, right? Right. Am, exactly. am I going crazy? It feels like it was ten games ago. And people were saying that, and now don't. I mean, don't look now. Trevor Zegers is one point back of Lucas Raymond, right? And I mean, and and even just to get back a little bit to like the the team scope, right now, if you just look at expected goals percentage and you look at uh, money puck, that line Raquel Zegers Milano of forward lines that have played a minimum of seventy five minutes. At five on five, they're fourth in the NHL right now. Like that's that's insane. Here are the lines that they're behind: Zucker, Rodriguez, Kapanen, which somehow is crushing. Manjapani, Backlund, Coleman, which we know Manjapani is so good at five on five, and Gensel, Crosby, Rodriguez. So two really good Pittsburgh lines. A team that's always great at five on five, and then the Calgary line and the Zegers line is actually ahead of lines like Lindholm, Goudreau, Kachuk, Pavelski, Hints, Robertson. Forsberg, Forsberg, Granlin, Duchesne, like they, it's not just like they're good for the Ducks. They are great on a league-wide perspective. And that yeah. is just insane to me. Yeah, 100%. I mean, <laughs> th- this is the best line the Ducks have had since, I mean, I'd have to go back and look at how the numbers actually were for them. But in my head, it probably would be what? Getzloff, Perry, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, you you would you would have to go quite a ways back, I think, to, to have this level of dominance from a, a Ducks line. Yeah, and I, I think the one thing that is uh by the way, did you say Evan Rodriguez twice? Fired Carl yeah. I was asking. Uh yes, I did. He's somehow okay. on two lines in this. So Evan Rodriguez, uh <laughs> best at player in the NHL. I, I guess I guess so. You can show up <laughs> twice on this. Um but I, I think the one thing that's interesting with this line is I think is not only are they good, but they're entertaining. And, and I think from my perspective of just being a fan of the team and wanting to have enjoyable hockey um and, and just want to enjoy watching ducks games again so, uh, again over the last or after the last couple of years just being infuriating for so many various reasons 
Um, I can't remember the last time the Ducks had a line that was this entertaining. Like, gets Ryan per- Ryan Getzloff Perry was a- extremely extremely good, but that line did cycle the puck. Like that was their game. Essentially, right. grind it out. Wait for the other team to make a mistake. Use their, your body in the corners. Grind it out. Uh, cycle the puck, and that that was their game, and it was effective. And I mean, obviously, goals are exciting, but overall chance creation is what ends up being the most exciting. I think rush mm-hmm. chances are the most exciting thing that you can have in the game. And I think that's what the Zegris line is good at. And I think obviously that's what Trevor Zegris is good at in general. And so when you mix in the fact that he's just so creative on the ice and is willing to try whatever he wants, um, it, it just creates a, an environment that just, I, I was thinking about this on my drive home because um, to be kind of completely open honest with everyone, I was able to watch the first period, listen to the second period on the drive home, watch the third period. Um, but I was thinking about this kind of wasn't able to really watch, but heard kind of uh, on the radio uh, about kind of how good Zegers looked, all these different things. And I was, I was wondering how many new hockey fans is Trevor Zegers going to create? Like within, in Anaheim? It, in- with, within the market. How many kids are going to watch Trevor Zegers? And now granted, he's just starting his career, but what type of influence five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years down the line is a Trevor Zegers going to have on the local market in terms of creating new players, creating fans of the game, creating kids that want to go and play hockey? Because it's not only the fact that he's good and scores goals, but he's fun to watch and he's yeah. entertaining and he looks like he's having fun out there. And I think that that is something that draws kids into hockey and draws kids into the game. Yeah, I mean, in the age of, you know, TikTok and, and you know, Instagram reels, which are just short snippets, right? Zegers is the king of that because mm-hmm. you can you can make a whole highlight reel of just, you know, short clips of, of insane things that he's done in a game. So, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. But circling back a little bit to yeah, just sorry. The, the on-ice component of this, I think one thing that's interesting with that line, and it kind of goes with what you were saying, is that the way that they play is fun, but it's also effective. And I was having a little back and forth with Jack Hahn on on Twitter on Friday, who, if you haven't checked out his... Humble name drop. (laughs) Well, no, but he's he's really a good source because former AHL coach, and you know he's written some good books you should check out. But the point is, it's nice to have input from someone who can kind of bridge that gap between the eye test and the numbers. And what he was saying is that the Ducks, what they've done a really good job of this season is using the full width of the ice. You know, like they're not just kind of carry it in, get it back to the point, slam it on net. Like that line, particularly with Zegras, they're so good at, at putting defenders in really tough positions because they're making them defend from everywhere as opposed to it kind of being predictable. And not only that, they're good at defending. Like it's not this whole narrative that, you know, Zegras has all these things to work on. Like, sure, maybe he can get stronger. Maybe he can be a little more diligent at times defensively, but they're very efficient at getting that puck back and then turning it, turning the play the other way. So anyway, all this to say the last 10 minutes or so here, the ducks part of their success right now is that they have an elite forward line that they're, that they're working with. And that is a luxury for a team and for a coaching staff. Yeah. And I mean, even just running through the games from the past week, uh, you, you've got the so I believe against in the Kings game was uh, that that line did not get on the scoreboard at all. 
I think that was maybe the only game that that was the case of the past week. Because, yeah, against Vegas, Raquel scored uh, with an assist from Milano and Zegras. And then I believe that, yeah, Zegras had another assist on Hampus Lindholm, a uh, Hampus Lindholm goal. And then Zegras and Milano had another assist on a Jamie Drysdale goal. And so that was, I believe, the, yeah, that was the, the three-point game for Trevor Zegras. Um, and then against the Flames, same type of thing. Sonny Milano with a goal um, and Trevor Zegras with the assist. Josh Manson, or sorry, this is the Washington game, uh, with Zegras with two points in that game, uh, in tonight's game. And then you also had against Calgary, you had Milano scoring with Zegras getting assists. And then uh, Letary at the end of the game uh, to tie it up uh, with an assist from Zegras. So... One of those things where, I mean, it's not all about production. There's a lot more to all of the the five-on-five play, but you hope that production eventually can follow so that team, basically players can get rewarded for positive results because at the end of the day, that's how players get paid. And so all of what we've kind of been gushing about with Trevor Zegers and what he does on the ice, all of his plays, everything like that in terms of a five-on-five, it's now translating into the results of getting the goals for the team. And that's led the team to have some success here. And so it, it's so much fun to watch, and it's so entertaining. Yeah, and I think that the, the big thing to note is that the Ducks still have some of the same deficiencies that they had uh, in years past. Like, their they're bottom six, particularly the fourth line, like, there's still issues with this lineup. It, it's not all perfect, but the difference is – when you have an elite line like like the Zegers line and when healthy, a really good line like the Getzlaff, Terry, Henrique line, that negates some of those weaknesses and it, yeah. and it kind of and it kind of brushes them to the side. And that's the big difference for the Ducks right now. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good point because, I mean, I, I think the question I keep coming back to is what's changed, right? What, mm-hmm. What's changed for this team from the projection that you and I had and the projection that a lot of people had? Yeah, are you, are you going to have to eat crow if the Ducks make the playoffs? Oh, I think they're making the playoffs at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost almost. Uh, it's not a guarantee, but no, it's very likely. At this it, point. It's looking more and more likely every day. Which honestly, I mean, I've settled into the opinion that they're not going to get a top pick even if they miss the playoffs. So it's like, no. eh, they, well, they would ha- they would have to be horrible. Yeah, the rest might might as well have a fun run with it then. So yeah, I'm yeah. of the opinion, make it and let's just have a fun little run. They're probably not going to make it far, but this is going to be a fun run and can build some confidence for some guys. And I think if you do it right, you can bring in guys with at the trade deadline by moving out some guys that could help you also and have, uh, make it a really fun run that you can build off of for years to come. I mean, this could essentially be, I mean, not trying to be too much of this type of stuff, but some people look at like runs that I believe Chicago made prior to them winning a cup. And, mm-hmm. and those types of things where, where Kane and Taze were able to kind of build off of that run and be able to use that to catapult them into their next runs. And so maybe that becomes this. I mean, this is getting too far ahead of ourselves a bit right yeah. now. But getting getting back to my point is what's changed, right? What What's the difference now between kind of where we were at preseason? What, what has caused this team to go from essentially a bottom tier five-on-five team to being a middle-of-the-road team at 5-on-5 that is getting some good results and is trending also in the right direction because I think that's the biggest thing is not only are they around 50%, they started out at like in the 30s, so they've been consistently trending up to be able to make up for that. And so I think kind of I think one thing is I think Lindholm and Drysdale as a pairing have been good, and I think at 5-on-5 that's really helpful. Cam Fowler's having an excellent season. Um, and then I think the emergence of the, of Getzloff Terry as a combo, a tandem combo to be able to put the puck in the net and kind of turn the five on five play into positive play into actual goals is one thing. And I think another thing is just Trevor Zegers getting more ice time in minutes, because I think maybe we were a little bit too dismissive of the numbers at the end of last season that Zegers had, and maybe 
should have looked a little bit more into that of the impact of having Trevor Zegers in the lineup playing a big role at center would have had on this team. And so, I mean, I don't know if you can think of anything else, but those are kind of the big things to me. I think the power play is obviously going to be a part of it, but I think that part of that is a little bit of variance. But yeah, I, I think that those are kind of the big parts right now that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, to me, there's three core components that mm-hmm. you can point to for the yep. change. So one is talent. Like, there's just talent on this team that wasn't always there last year or the last couple of years. And that talent, so I'm thinking of, like, Zegras, Terry, even Milano, are just reaching ages where they're more in their prime or where they're starting to have that uptick production-wise. So there's just more talent. I think that even though the roster is similar, it's it's these guys hitting that window where they're going to start producing. The second one is coaching. I, yes, you heard it right. I am giving some credit to the coaching staff, and it's for some of the things you mentioned. But also, look, the Ducks cleaned house outside of Dallas Aikens last mm-hmm. season. And I think that people might not realize how much of a difference that makes because in a coaching staff, the assistant coaches are kind of like the tacticians, right? You have the head coach who can be the communicator, who enforces more of the overarching philosophies, but the assistant coaches are kind of like the worker bees. They're the ones that are drawing things up that are really, you know, sometimes leading the film sessions. And so I, I don't want to bag on them too much, but I really think that the assistant coaches have not been a strength for Anaheim the last few years. Yeah. I, I think that you can, you can point to a pretty clear correlation there and it wasn't all that, but it didn't help. So I think having just qualified guys who bring a more modern approach, as I was referencing with Jack Hahn and what he's noticed with their tactics changing, I think that that has clearly yielded results. The third pillar is something that you mentioned as well, which is just lineup optimization. Like they're just playing the guys that should have been playing all along. Like Sonny Milano didn't make the team out of camp, you know, which is just lunacy when you look back on it, but now he's playing. And as it turns out, when he gets a chance, he's very effective. Yeah. He's very good. Trevor Zegers not having his hand held for his deployment this year has made a big difference. And well, it has, hasn't always been like that. Well, yeah. But compared, I was about to say, but you're asking what's different from like years past. And yep. I would say from, I mean, if you compare how the ducks were using Zegris last year, I mean, for God's sake, wasn't even playing center when he first came up, um, you know, and, and he was just being babysat essentially. So you put all of those things together, just getting the basics, right? Like playing the right players, better tactics and better coaches. And, this is what you get. You just get a more competent product. Now they're not an elite team. No one's going to confuse them for that, but there's, they're at least giving themselves a chance. I feel like half of coaching sometimes in all sports, but particularly in the NHL is just have a coach. Who's not going to take stuff off the table, take options off the table. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what they've done so far. And it it is impressive, by the way, just want to give a quick shout out to Bruce Boudreaux for getting uh, hired on in Vancouver. And, apparently according to Twitter has already dropped an F bomb in a press conference. Did he? So, I love it. So just, I mean, wasn't it last episode where we were just heaping on the praise on Bruce basically. Yeah. And now he's employed and he is dropping F bombs. So God, just, I need I'll, to find, I'll find this after the game, I guess, or after the podcast, but I need to find that all, all, all is well in the world. When we have Bruce Boudreaux behind a bench and uh, swearing. Publicly. Bruce Boudreaux is just an absolute gem. He's, I mean, to me, he's one of the best coaches in the league. Yeah, like, I, I think there's only one coach I would actually have above him. Oh, John Cooper. Interesting. I was going to pick. I made I made some comment about best coach in the league the other day in our discord, and I've already forgotten who I picked, but it wasn't. Oh, Mike Sullivan. 
I think Mike Sullivan. Uh, Sol- Sullivan could be up there. I would have him and Bruce in similar levels. But I mean, the the thing with Sullivan is just the fact that he constantly true outperforms his roster because they're always decimated by injuries. Um, anyway, so with all that out of the way, kind of this big picture stuff. Do you want to talk about? Maybe the game that happened tonight. Yeah, yeah, and I think kind of we can start with the the lineup because I think to me that is the the mm-hmm. biggest. If you want to nitpick anything about this performance or this game, I think it's the lineup decisions that were made by Dallas Akins and not so much the guys playing because it is what it is. The there are guys hurt that kind of screws everything up, but I think there are optimal ways to take uh, advantage of your lineup and suboptimal ways and. I think that even though the Ducks played a solid enough game, there were ways to better optimize the lineup. Yes. So is this just one big shot at Sam Steele? I mean, it's not necessarily a shot at Sam Steele. If you want to make it a shot of any at anyone, it's a shot at Derek Grant. Yeah. I mean, I think that... So my interpretation of this lineup, where so going into tonight, you had Raquel, Zegers, Milano, Grant, Lundestrom, Silverberg, Letary, Steele, Terry... That's a mouthful. And Deloria Carrick, Buddy Robinson. Um, yeah, and and I also think it's important to note that even though the the Ducks roster that they tweeted out listed that steel line as the first line, minutes-wise, ended up being the third line. Yeah, and so... But in the first period, they kind of felt like the first line, though. And I feel like their ice time, their usage seemed to go down as the game went on. I don't have evidence to support this, but that was just my eye test. Um, I'm sure that if you pull up the shift charts, it, that what do, what do you think I'm looking at right now? I know that's uh, what you're looking up. Um, but anyway, so the point is, yeah, these lines, I think the overarching philosophy for the coaching staff is let's try, especially on the road where you don't have last change and you can't control the matchups quite as much is to not have a line that on paper is just a total black hole. Um, and so that's where you get Terry on a line with Steele and Letary. That's where you get a line with Grant next to Lundestrom and Silverberg. I think that that's where that comes from. And I think it's I think there's a piece that you're also missing there. I think that it's also the fact that I think Dallas Aikens views the Isaac Lundestrom line as a quote unquote shutdown line. Oh, he 100 percent does. And 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 he, and, and he, and he I, probably thinks Grant being on that line makes them a better shutdown line. There you go. There you go. So <laughs> that that is, I think, also a, a part of it. The the issue here is essentially you have two ways of thinking. If you're just looking at talent, it's whether you spread out the talent throughout your top nine, and you have Troy Terry as one of the leading scorers on the team. And you put him with other talent and hopefully he can raise their level and you keep the other lines the same. The mm-hmm. other option that you have is to just essentially load up your top six and just play the, both of those lines the majority of the minutes throughout the night and just kind of uh, play your, your third and your fourth line sparingly and put them out there for 10 minutes or, or so each and play the, the top six a, more amount, or a larger amount of ice time. And the funny thing is in tonight's game, that's, what's ha- that's actually what happened. The Zegers line ended up playing 20 minutes of ice time at five on five. Lundstrom line around 16, 17 minutes or so at five on five. The Steel line around 11 minutes, and the uh, Carrick line around I believe it was like seven or eight minutes. Mm-hmm. So it actually like the the way of uh, distributing ice time actually kind of really fell in line with the thought process of loading up your top six. The issue here is. Why is Troy Terry not on the line with Lundestrom and Silverberg or switch it up and put Raquel there and put Terry with Zegris? Mm-hmm. It, it just feels like a waste, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. When you when you look at these lines, like I was saying, you have this, this idea of trying to spread the wealth or having a shutdown line. But at the end of the day, I think that 
the approach should just be get your best players together and live with the rest when it comes to your bottom six. Yeah. Like, I I think that's just part of what happens with injuries. It's easy for us to say because we're not the ones that have to watch like terrible shifts when, when guys are like, let's say you have a fourth line. I mean, how much worse could the fourth line be though? Is the question. Well, I mean, the fourth line (laughs) wouldn't really change. It would just, yeah, yeah. like, it's just, it would be grant, uh, what would it be? The third line would be, or the third line would end up being uh, Grant Steele Letary. Yeah, exactly. And so, this is a this is a conversation that was popping off in our Discord uh, during the first period. It's really funny because the first period you had everyone in the chat just kind of, you know, had their pitchforks and knives out, and then by the second period, the the, the parade was being planned, which which is why I love our Discord so much. The passion. Our, di- our Discord's fantastic. It's always worth shouting out. The, the passion for the team is truly unrivaled there. But um, there was a conversation about Sam Steele. And I'm not a big fan of spending a ton of time talking about, like, you know, marginal players because I think at the end of the day, we want to focus on who's really driving the bus. Yeah. Like, we want to bring attention to that. And I guess this is a roundabout way of me saying that that's how I see Sam Steele at this point. Like, he's just there's no more ink left to spill on this guy. Like he no. is, he is what he's going to be. And I, I'm not, I'm to be honest, I'm not even convinced that like what he is right now is a full fledged NHL or like, he's going to be 24 this season. He's struggling to have an impact. Even when he's on like the perfect, the perfect line, even when he's with Henrik and Terry, which we saw, I think against LA is what it was, or I guess no, Vegas, Vegas. Yeah. You, you, you didn't even see it then. And I think at this point, what else is there left to see? Like, what more do you need to see? The people that say, oh, you know, give them time. You know, you can't, you don't want to write people off. Uh, maybe he needs a change of scenery. I think this is just who he is at this point. Yeah, and I'm all for giving guys a look in a, in a cushy situation and maybe see what you have. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, at, not at the, bad, it's not a bad move from at, the Ducks perspective. At the end of the day, though, from the global perspective on things, right? This is a guy that couldn't win a roster spot coming into the season and was beaten out by Bo Grew and Isaac Lundstrom for the two for a bottom six center role. Okay, okay. Here's something I gotta I gotta throw in there though. Okay, was he was he beaten out by Bo Grew, or yeah. was or was Bo Grew anointed to beat him out? No, I I think he was beaten out by by Bo Grew. I think Bo Grew had a better preseason than him. I think Bo Grew. Okay. okay. Yeah. No. I, I and so I think from that global perspective of it of this is a guy that couldn't win a roster spot versus those guys. And now he's being thrown into this cushy spot. And while granted, yes, I'm all for giving guys a chance in in a position to succeed. He, he wasn't able to. And I think at this point in time where the position he's being put into and he's being thrown into has just way too high of expectations. And I think at this point in time, I don't know if the best way to put it is to cut bait, but I think the ducks need to shift him to the wing. Cause I think by putting him at center and putting him in these spots, it's not doing him any favors, and I don't know if necessarily yeah, is that. But, I mean, but, okay, this all goes on. back to maybe it is time to cut bait. Hold on, hold on, hold all right, on. All right, I need, all right. I need, I need to step in here. Okay. Okay, okay. Play him on the wing. How did that go, right? True. At, no, that's fair. That's a fair point. Because after he played on the wing, what did Dallas Sagan say? Oh, well, we've been playing him out of his natural position. Like, here's a thought. Maybe if he's not effective on the wing, not effective at center, not effective between two true top six players, maybe – He's just, dare I say it, it not effective? It, is, it, that, is, that, is that plausible at this it, point? One thing that I've kind of gone back and forth on with Steele in my head. No, 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 no. You're, you're 100% right. No, 100% I, I want right. to hear this thought. I'm actually dying to hear this thought because I don't he's, know where this is going to go. 
he's the one player that never got sent down. Yeah. That never got punished for never poor felt play. Consequences for and, poor and, play. And so it almost feels like he was never able to work on his game in a way that was grossly needed. And I'm not one to necessarily worry too much about development of players necessarily. I think that you can learn on the fly in the NHL. But this feels like a situation that was a guy that was struggling in the NHL and the coaching staff never fully understood or realized that and almost I guess this is the issue of not looking at the right parts of the game and commending players when they're actually playing poorly. Well, this could also be a Murray thing. Like we'll never know. True, true. Like this could but, be a Murray thing. But yeah. this is kind of the danger of commending players for things that aren't necessarily good good habits and, and good things to keep doing because they eventually end up kind of making that their game. And the thing with Sam Steele is that's not a positive impact on the game. And I think one of the things with Sam Steele that has long been something I've seen is that he always just looks like he's a half second behind when he has the puck on his stick. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he can't see the play develop and see where it's going to go to be able to make the pass. And I just wonder if he's a guy that really could have used some time in the AHL where it's a little bit slower. Because he played, I think, what, one season with the goals when he was 20? And, did and well. then and, and then has And then has been up with the Ducks ever since. And w- when everyone was sent down, when Troy Terry was sent down, when all these guys were sent down, especially Terry when Terry had good numbers still, Steele wasn't. And, and so that's just one thing I kind of puzzled about, I guess. Well, I think that that is a good point to to bring it back to the fact that he was never sent down, um, and it's it sucks because I I truly think and like all guys who make the NHL have some degree of skill, and we know that Sam Steele at some point had some skill, and I understand why people talk about him so much because he was a former first round pick. Because I mean, hell, to this day, to this day, Jake on the broadcast, they still bring up his junior stats, like like the game well, where he was centering yeah. Henrik and Terry. They were they brought up his stats. From the WHL, I was, I was screaming. I, I, are we still talking about this? Like this is still like that's put put that in the past because it's it's clearly no longer relevant. But the point yeah. is that he does have some modicum of skill. Like it, it was there at some point, and you've seen it in plays that he's had in you know early in his career. He has some highlight reel plays, and then it, all of his goals started becoming not off of his own stick. But there was a time <laughs> where you could see this. You could see the skill. And so that's maybe where you could make the argument that development is what has held him back. Yeah. That, that he wasn't allowed to flourish. Yeah. So, but I think someone made a good point. I think it was Heyo Deflo in our chat made a good point that he's also, I mean, you got, he's got to be accountable for this at some point, right? It's yeah. It's not just, it's not just on the organization. Like he's just, it's just never clicked for him. Uh, so anyway, I think moving forward, I, it, it almost, it almost doesn't matter what you do with him at this point. Like, well, I, I, th- I think what they might be trying to do is recuperate, like try to pump up his value a little bit so that yeah. when everybody's healthy, you can then make that trade and hopefully get something. But like statistically, he's been worse than Derek Grant this season. Like, like that's where we're at right now. Worse than Derek Grant. And there, there's not even a little eye test, you know, what about this argument that you can make for him anymore? Like he's just one of the least effective players on this team. And it is time to maybe find a way to pump up his value and flip him for a, a, a pick or like you suggested, just put him on waivers. Like, like it, 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 you're almost better off just trying something else at this point. Yeah. I mean, his even strength offense in 20 in a 
So, you know, here, I'll put this on the screen so everyone can see it. But JFresh has it where you can see the the changes in uh, war from last season to this season in terms of combining the data. So when you factor in, I think he's played, was that, uh, 18 games this season. Yes, his war percentage goes up, but that's mainly finishing driven, which is going to be shooting percentage. So not necessarily uh, sustained in something that's repeatable success. But the craziest thing is his even strength offense has dropped 19% due to those 16 games. Yeah. Like that is insane for it to fall that go from 27th percentile to eighth percentile from 18 games. Yeah. And, and, and even from a personal perspective, like for him, I just, I would like for him to be in a situation where he can have that opportunity to work, work through some things and find his way back, like find his way back to the NHL. Cause I don't know if he can thrive on an NHL line right now. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. I think a team, like, I don't know how you would ever do this, but this is like the kind of project I could see a team like the Maple Leafs wanting to take on. Like they, they traded for Alex Galchenyuk last year, you know, tried to fix him in the AHL. Like you need someone like that. Who's willing to take a chance on him. If you're going to even go down the trade route. Do you think that you could do Sam seal plus something for Jake DeBrusque? Well, that plus something is going to have to carry all of the weight. I mean, I know that people have brought up quite a bit that Boston is a destination for Sam Steele because they need forwards, but Boston needs good forwards. Like they need guys who are actually going to help their depth issues, not just be another body. Yeah. And, and that I don't know what case you can possibly make right now that Sam Steele is going to help them. Yep. So I mean, it, it's well, it's more so a reclamation project for a reclamation project, but they're not, are they in a situation though, where they can be taking that on They're a team? No, that, that's trying I mean, to win. The, the biggest thing is what's the value of Jake DeBrusque? Well, that's something that I don't think we even have any clarity on as no. of right now. No. So, so ju- just something I'd throw, I figure I would throw out there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree in terms of that. I think for the time being with the, the injuries that the Ducks have, it's fine. I think that you just, yeah, you have to play them. It is what it is. There's, there's not, ne- I, I think actually weirdly, Sam Carrick's the third best center on the team right now. Oh yeah. I mean, Sam, Sam Carrick's been good this year. Yeah, he <laughs> actually really has. Um, and, and I think that if you're looking for a long-term kind of spot on that third line with, with Lundestrom and Silverberg, uh, while everyone's kind of coming back and getting healthy, Sam Carrick's not a bad option there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we need to come up with some kind of, uh, some kind of hashtag for Sam Carrick that hopefully the ducks Twitter account will pick up on. Cause they're in on every joke this year. I know the elite one timer. I saw that today. I mean, do they, I hope they realize that they're, that they're, subliminally making fun of their own broadcast team. They, they have to be. I <laughs> no, Wait, actually, nope. You know what we have to get them to do at some point? What? If he's ever called up, Cody oh, Coran. Oh, yes. Well, what's the hashtag there again? Bo- big booming shot. Oh, my God. Please. <laughs> Please, for the love everyone, of God. Everyone, make sure if uh, if he's ever called up, Make sure that the response to the Ducks Twitter account that set, when they say it I mean, is just tag Crash the Pond. Just just keep tagging us and keep tagging it, us. To, uh, make sure to tag them and say the big booming shot has arrived. I mean, isn't it funny though that all of these nicknames are actually somewhat sarcastic? Like Elite One oh, C. They're all very. I mean, Terry is very good. Is actually true. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Perry is still good. Was also true. <laughs> My favorite thing about the Terry is very good hashtag is that. When it started, it wasn't that set in stone. Like, like you were, you were the only one really going that hard at it, and so it was just kind of typical you having very strong opinions about things, 
that you know you were kind of on an island on um so and how most, many of those do i end up being correct on uh i don't know we we, we should one day go back and compile I'm, our i'm our probably what rates. maybe 50 50 i don't know but anyway. i mean my hit rate's not horrible on them but anyway so now with the elite 1t i'm just i'm i'm dying over here this is just and too good by the way i meant to say this in our discord uh-huh. The funny thing is, the Ducks actually have a legitimate, not sarcastic, elite player now. Yeah. Like, actually. I mean, yeah. they, might, they have an elite line, an elite player. It's it's looking pretty good. I mean, what do you make? I mean, I swear we're going to get through this recap of this Washington game. But There's no way we'll actually get Actually, through. no, we can do that. We I can I can tie this in. All perfectly. right, go for it. So, Ducks come out of the first period down 1-0. They got, I would say, I would argue, I would contend heavily outplayed i mean all the numbers point to that shot attempts 24 16 capitals expected goals 1.4 to 0.85 just not a good period but the ducks had multiple opportunities to get on the board with one sunny milano who had an open net to shoot at was perfectly set up by zegris and the puck just kind of skipped over his blade um also was again perfectly set up in the slot by zegris like milano could have had at least two goals after the first period um and after the Ducks give that one up, he eventually he gets on the board later in the in the second period. But what do you make of Sonny Milano's numbers this season? Because they're so overwhelmingly good. He's got seven goals on the year now. He's got like he's at nineteen points. Like, like what do you make of this guy? Like, is it just a small sample? We need to see more, or is he actually this good? Because um, ev- everything is pointing in the same direction. Yeah, like, that he just dominates play when he's out there. I mean, here's the thing. We don't necessarily know how far back his his concussion issues go, right? Or yeah. or, or was that something that was specifically last season? That's what I'm trying to, trying to recall, and I actually can't remember off the top of my head. But, I mean, this is a guy that always kind of had the, the pieces, and when he first got to Anaheim, I remember his on-ice numbers were actually pretty good. And um, from the little – I mean – looking at 1920 so the little bit that he played that year i mean offensively he was in the 70th ish uh or 70th percentile of even strength offense around maybe 40 40th percentile of even strength defense i mean that's all just skyrocketed because he didn't play enough last year with that basically his entire sample size now is is this year but he's in the 81st percentile of even strength offense war 71st percentile of even strength defense war the, the crazy thing is he's not even that high in terms of finishing war he's in 66 percentile well, which i think, I think you just kind of see that tonight like he might not be an elite finisher yeah but he's, it, but he's getting the, the at bats so often yeah i mean it, just a rush guy says milano's issues were his defense and i think that that's probably a valid point but i mean his defense now i mean it's yeah. funny that line is just kind of it, that line is the epitome of there is no center necessarily in the defensive zone. Like you could have Zegris defending up high. You could have Zegris defending up down low. You could have Milano up high or Milano down low or Raquel up high, Raquel down low. And it's kind of just, it, it's very much the epitome of F1, F2, F3 in terms of defending. And the, the old adage of the center has to be the defensively responsible one isn't necessarily uh, yeah, applicable I mean, to that line. That's modern NHL. Like, yeah, it, no. It's but far I, less pigeonholed than people realize. But I think that line specifically more so than others is even yeah. more representative of that. Because you'll find Raquel down low. And the funny thing is Raquel's actually much better, I think, defensively than it always looks. And he was a center. And so that kind of plays into that. Um, but I think Milano is a guy that's really thrived this year. And so I think... I think it looks bad first off that he was put on waivers to start the year. Well, right. again, though, like his numbers right now are at an elite level. Like it's yeah. not, it's not just like, no. Oh, he's playing well. Like this is, you know, good story. Ha ha. 
this is on a different scale. And I'm just wondering, we need more sample, obviously, but if I were to ask you right now, like, will this continue? What would your answer be? Yeah. I mean, I think the answer has to be yes, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Every, and I mean, everything, everything is there. Well, and I think the crazy thing is Ricard Raquel, even strength offense, 86th percentile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's playing very well and he's, he's producing, picked up an assist tonight. Like anyway, so in that period, so after that rough first period for the ducks, that was kind of a sound, the alarm bells a little bit period because it felt like, okay, poor lineup construction on the road, injured. They needed John Gibson to play very well in that first period, just to keep it at one, nothing. And then just kind of seemingly out of nowhere, the second period was much more even. It was it was pretty much dead even when you look at all the different five-on-five numbers, like shot attempts, scoring chances, things like that. Now, there were five goals scored in that period. The Ducks scored three of them. And it's almost like they got back some of the puck luck they, they didn't have in the first period. I mean, Josh Manson, again, a missed Milano chance. Zegras, great zone entry, dices in, gets it across to Milano. He shoots it on net, and Samsonov just kind of leaves it there. Manson pokes it home. Um, Manson's third goal of the season, which, by the way, Jake, I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know if, if you're in on this, but the Ducks defensemen are scoring I, more this that year. That was something I forgot to bring up about the when we were asking about what's different. And the funny thing is, you and I actually were uh, discussing that slightly this morning, and we were like, there has to be a way to, to look this up to verify if this is like actually just... Oh, a, so just, just so people understand where we're coming from on this. So there has been this whole narrative that the the Ducks defensemen are scoring more this year and that that in and of itself is evidence that they're playing this different way, that the D-men are pinching up more, that they're jumping up in the play. And the issue with that is that if you're using goal scoring by itself, goal scoring is very prone to variance within a small sample. Well, think about the number of goals there are, especially when you're isolating it to specific players, specifically Mm -hmm. defensemen. We're talking, what, 10 goals probably? I I would say I don't don't have the number off the top of my head in terms of how many goals from the blue line, but it's probably in the 10 to 20 range. And so we're talking about 10 to 20 goals. So if one or two of those are variance-driven, that's a huge skew in one direction or the other. And so that's why the way Felix and I try to look at it is – is this a sustainable stat? Is this something that's more so well, due to variance? Well, also, are they even actually being more like, is this even a thing? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I hypothesized that, well, we could probably just look at their, for example, their shot attempts or their expected goals, pulled up the numbers. And sure enough, like this is what kind of got me is that when you just get the median individual expected goal per 60, sorry, folks, th- there's about to be some stats here, some some, this entire some, podcast is some filled statistical with statistical terms. Well, median is like another level, I think. But the reason we like median over average is that you get a better idea for what that middle of the distribution looks like, as opposed to being jostled around by the, the tails each way. And so last year, if you just picked out any Ducks defenseman in the middle of that, the median individual, they were at 0.13 expected goals per 60. That's how much they were contributing at five on five. So that's if you were to just pick any one of those, any defenseman from that middle. This year, they're at 0.28. Like they're, that's more than double what they were contributing last year. And then for shot attempts, it goes from 8.7 to 10.4. So yes, it's not just that they're scoring more, which mm-hmm. could just be dumb luck. Like they're actually, yeah. there, there is a sea change there in how they're using their defenseman because they're just producing more offense like yeah. game in and game out. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, you could probably do a whole article on that of just like 
what that actually looks like but it's been something that you hear a lot and that you hear a lot like on the broadcast but i guess like there is statistical backing yeah. for that they yep. are actually being more aggressive yep. so josh manson scoring there you go and like by the way josh manson scored that goal in the opponent's crease yeah <laughs> so if you want evidence of the uh ducks demon jumping up in the play there you have it and then in the period i mean milano batting a, a puck out of the air just a fantastic play he's very good at that by the way yeah just like knocking pucks down um and it was again very nice play between zegris and raquel it was actually off of a zegris scoring chance and then the moment of the game the one that that we've been getting to enjoy more and more the elite one-timer of Vinny Terry. so this was actually a really nice zone entry by terry yeah the other terry troy terry yeah um just kind of classic troy terry right just a little move to get that puck over to fowler and then Fowler, who has also been amazing this season, as we've talked about a lot on the show, brings it all the way down, rifles it across to Letary. And look, to Letary's credit, I know that we've made fun of the broadcast and Dallas Higgins for talking about how he's got this. It's more I so mean, the low, it's the low hanging fruit. I mean, they've literally said he's got a great one time. Yeah. We've just never seen it. Yeah. Um, when he gets like when he gets on the puck, like and he and he gets a chance, he gets all of it. Like, like that was per- that was perfectly placed into the it comes off of his sick quick. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then after that, I mean, with what was it? Yeah, twenty-three seconds left in the second period. Josh Manson. I, I put this out there on Twitter, but Josh Manson not make a catastrophic turnover challenge. Like, are we gonna are we gonna go a game without a turnover from Josh Manson that that doesn't result in a glorious chance for the other team? Because that's what happened on this play. Let me um, ask you this. Uh huh. Yes. As we, this podcast is just going all over the place, and that that's how that's, we typically do. Yep. Um, are the Ducks going to be better off once they move Josh Manson? In what sense? <laughs> I'm just what asking. You... I'm just asking an empty question to give myself time to think about this. Um, I think that the answer to that is likely yes, because I think what we've seen from Cam Fowler is that he he's able to carry guys on his pairing, and so assuming that he can do that with another guy that they bring in or that they just move up, then the return that they will get for Manson, if they were to trade him, I think that they are better off at that point because what Hen- he does might not necessarily be this like irreplaceable thing. Henry, Henry Thrun season to the NHL. I mean, the ducks have a few guys in the pipeline. Who- it like Thrun might actually be close to NHL ready. Honestly, is he a righty or a lefty? I, I righty. I, uh, I'll go. I'll, I'll check. Well, let's see. I'm pulling up pictures. He is a lefty. Uh-oh. Taking Damn shambles. It. Damn Taking it. Taking shambles. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, he might be. Who knows? So, anyway, yeah, I, I think with Manson, it's just – it's so weird because the this his stats look good this season, and we've said this on the show before, but there are just some plays where you're just asking yourself, like, you know, what what, what did you see on this play, Josh? What, what, what exactly was the idea here? Um, so, anyway, after that, I mean, the Ducks really even third period again – this was a period, though, where you could kind of feel things slip away a little bit, especially at the end. And we were actually having a back and forth about this before we started recording. You pretty much had to cut me off and say we need to start recording. Yep, that's but what I'm here for. The Ducks in a tie game, rolling out the fourth line with, what was it, less than a minute left? Less yeah. than two minutes left? 30 seconds. Yeah, your thoughts on that? Uh, not 
like here's the funny thing is that I mean Dallas Aik- has good numbers and Deloria is supposedly good defensively, right? Yeah, it's just an odd strategy when Dallas Aikens is Mr. Play to the situation. Zegers can't be out there when they're they're trailing it or when they're leading in a game and he's only gonna play when they're behind in a game, and that's when he's gonna get the most minutes. And and so for a coach that's all about playing to the situation, I don't understand the logic uh and I mean, this is the coach also that offensive zone draw 30 seconds left has continued to throw Isaac Lundestrom and Jacob Silverberg out. Yeah. And yet Trevor Zegers comes off the ice and Carrick and Delorier go on the ice. And it's just like, what is going on here with 30 seconds left? And it almost cost the Ducks the game. I mean, Washington had a lot of glorious chances in that final 30, 45 seconds there. So almost cost them the game. Yeah. You know, just, just another normal one. Uh, And then afterwards, I have a, I have a slight comment to make here. I'm getting a little tired of three on three overtime. Like it, it, like when it's good, it's great. It's amazing. But most of the time it is not that it is just kind of like, we're going to circle back. We're going to regroup. We're going to set up. We're going to try to get it done. If we don't smell any opportunity at, at the first, at the first appearance of pressure, circle back, regroup. And there is like a fun cat and mouse element to that, but it is not, necessarily the most entertaining maybe part of it is that the ducks insist on starting their overtimes with their checking tandem of silverberg and lundestrom and lindholm like the 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 swedish trio i don't know what the goal is there because in overtime you've already pocketed the first point so what like why not just go for it and get the second one yeah you're you're, i I think maybe the idea okay now i'm really trying to play dallas akins here but Maybe the idea is you know the other team is going to put out their top line. You're going to put out your checking line. Try to survive those minutes. And then when they change, then you put out the Zegers line and try to capitalize. Like, But isn't that just 4D chessing your way out of the obvious, like the, the optimal solution? It's three on three. I can't really put that much thought into it. I mean, I mean you're it right. Matters, though. It matters, though. You're right. I mean, here's my thing, honestly, um, with, with, with three on three, honestly, is... I'm fine with it. I I view three on three the same way I view, view a shootout. They're they're both skills competitions to me that don't. Well, all three on three does have passing. They're not in that, the playoffs. Well, not only they're not in the playoffs, but it's not as if you ever see hockey that played like three on three hockey in the NHL. You never see it played like that. You never see it that kind of style. So it's very different than what actual five on five. So just because a team is able to score goals at three on three doesn't necessarily translate to being a good team. And I think that's at the end of the day, what you're trying to establish with overtime is you're trying to establish, you're trying to find a winner up between the two teams. And so, I mean, if you're purely looking at it from an entertainment perspective, it's great. And same thing with the shootout. And that's why I view them in the same breath. But I think from the trying to evaluate which team's better, which team deserve to win, three-on-three doesn't do it any better than the shootout does. They're both skills competitions. They're both the same exact thing. And so, I mean, that's why I view them in the both way. I mean, Christian Jay is saying, why do you guys hate fun? I don't hate it. I like it. I enjoy it. But I just... I don't view it as an actual way to establish a winner. I think that winning a game in three on three is no different than winning a game in the shootout in terms of uh, how it feels. If, if you're looking at it from a fan's perspective, it's the same thing. And honestly, so this is what I was trying to get the data for before you, we went live. I was telling Felix, I'm trying to find some place that I could find data to be able to compile some information um, and, and wasn't, wasn't ever able to find it. I was curious what the standings would look like right now with a three, two, one system. Oh, okay. Um, mainly oh. because, like, here's the issue with three-on-three three is that a win in three-on-three three and a win in a shootout 
are worth the same amount as a regulation one. They're all worth two points. So why is that the case when we're establishing right now that it's not the same style of hockey? It's very different. And so it doesn't necessarily translate to what team's the better team. So why why are we establishing that that's worth the same amount? So to me, going to a 3-2-1 system makes the most sense because then you are saying basically a 5-on-5 win, or not 5-on-5, a regulation time win is a better way or is the most important way to to decide a game and that's worth the most value to all teams and a shootout or overtime win while yes it's still a win and it's entertaining and all these different things it is not worth as much as a regulation win. yeah and i think that that like that echoes the way the nhl has this set up because the playoffs don't have they don't have the shootout and they don't have three on three so clearly winning the game in regulation in the playoff style should be the most valuable of those yeah. three. Um, but yeah, so I mean, anyway, that sorry, a si- little side tangent. I was are, really hoping to get the data and I could not find it. There are three on three games that I think are really, really entertaining, but there are also ones which I think tonight would fall into this category where they're just, they're just not that fun. And I mean, there's just something about watching Hampus Lindholm just always try to force a shot through. That just it just doesn't get me going. I'm I'm sorry. Overtime or sorry, shootout though, the Ducks uh would end up or sorry, they would end up losing. I was saying they end up winning. Uh end up losing. I mean, this was kind of a fun shootout though. I am a big fan of shootouts. I love shootouts. Yeah, they're I fun. I don't, I don't care what people say. They're more fun than three on three. If we just went straight to shootout as opposed to no three on three, I would be fine with that. I that is be, a bold take. I'd be fine with it. I mean, like you said, they're the same thing, right? Yeah. At, no, at, I agree, but day, so who, who gives a shit? Um more shootouts. <laughs> Troy Terry had a nice sure. goal. Ricardo Kelly had a nice goal. Trevor Z. Here's the question. Here's the big question arising from this shootout. What What did Jakob Solberg do to, to deserve this fate? He hasn't taken a shootout attempt in a while. Yeah, like what? Like he's he's a 44 percent shooter on his career, which by the way is higher than Kevin Shattenkirk's 36 percent. Shattenkirk's, uh, by the way, 36% is actually not something to really scoff at. That's actually pretty good. Well, I was no, looking I know. At... 36 is good, but the point is you have a guy who's even better. Okay, so let's see. Here's the issue for Silverberg. He had the really good streak in 14-15 where he, had, he was 9-4, nine 9-4, and four, nine, four, uh, 9 made, 4 missed, and then followed it up 15-16, 4 made, 3 missed. Uh, here's the issue. 16-17, 1 made, 5 missed. 17, 18, 0 made, 5 missed. 18, 19, 0 made, 2 missed. And then 19, 20, 2 made, 2 missed. Yeah, so he's on a cold streak. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty clear. And I think maybe the problem with him is that goalie's figured out his one move. Yeah, that, I think that's probably it because he has that one move. And I think he started trying to get in the, like, move, pull to the backhand. Yes. And, like, it just wasn't working. I would still, I mean... He's like that hot streak still happened though. And the the way that these events happened, I don't know if I believe that all of a sudden he's a terrible shootout guy. Like the hot streak would still happen for a reason. So give him a try. Uh, but anyway, we're talking about something that doesn't totally matter. It's yeah, it's a shootout at the end. Of the yeah. Day. I mean, you could also argue put Ricard Raquel out there before Kevin Shattenkirk. I mean, I don't think Shattenkirk's a bad option, but I think if you're looking for a guy to kill off a game, I'd rather have the puck on Ricard Raquel stick. Yeah. I think just from just from the logical perspective of it. I think the big win for this Ducks team right now in the shootout is that I haven't seen any John Gibson flying poke check attempts yet for two packs. <laughs> you hate that so much. Well, yeah, because it doesn't work. 
It's just here you go, shooter. Here's all of the top of the net. <laughs> just have it. You know what? I I'm gonna take my chances here. It, it's just I don't understand it. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So I I think overall, kind of to to sum up the game, it was actually it was a game that in the first period looked like it could be a rough one. Yes. And now it's I mean the Ducks were able to kind of fight their way back and get back in it and really put in a really solid performance that was not one that I was expecting. Well, and especially I mean, given the injuries. I mean, that's yeah. the big key here. And so now up on the screen is actually the expected goal uh, chart from Evolving Hockey, and you can kind of see the Ducks in the first period were pretty low, and then basically the goal that happened right at the uh, start of the second period really caused a big jump, and then the Ducks kind of were able to build their way back up. They ended up still losing the battle on the whole 2.9 to 2.4, but to even be that close um against a capital team that like i said is top 10 in the league and expected goals for percentage with this uh lineup uh it was impressive yeah and I, I think that's the theme like we haven't talked about the other games of this week but they yielded some good numbers as well against the likes of the flames vegas like they're holding their own against teams that particularly like with calgary and, and even with washington are very good five on five teams and calgary being one of the very best and that, again, is encouraging and not something that we've seen at all in the last few years. And so this is just, again, more evidence that things are trending in the right direction. And that, as I predicted, what was it now, a month ago, that the Ducks will make the playoffs? I mean, that is looking very likely at this point. Yeah, it really is. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, this past week, the Ducks played L.A., uh, and they won that game in the shootout, 62% expected goals, four percentage. Then they had the game against Vegas uh, that they ended up winning, 61.5% expected goals, four yeah. percentage. And then the game they lost in the shootout against Calgary, who's like you said, one of the best in the league, 45% expected goals, four percentage. So I mean, here's the positive for the Ducks, even though that was 45%, they did that without Adam Henrique for a large stretch of that game. Yeah. They did that with no Getzloff, and that's a team that would have caved them in. I mean. Earlier on in the year, they played Calgary in Calgary. 35% expected goals for you know, You know what's funny? On natural stat trick, the Ducks got 51.5% in that game against Calgary. Which so, model do you trust more? I don't know. But if, hey, if you're if you're a Ducks fan who just wants to be purely biased, uh, go nuts. There you yeah. go. They, they, well, okay. One model says that they, they dominated or that Bef- they... They controlled play in that before game. We, before we jump into questions, just really briefly a look forward at this week because I feel like... Any place that talks about the Ducks, whether it's the radio broadcast, whether it's the TV broadcast, is talking about how unfair it is that the Ducks are playing five games in seven days, yada, yada, oh, yeah. yada, whatever that is. Every team goes through stretches. I mean, the Islanders played 13 games on the road to start the year. Every team goes through this type of stuff. But they play – this is a big road trip. They, they're at Buffalo tomorrow. Then they play at Columbus on Thursday. They play at Pittsburgh Saturday, at St. Louis Sunday. What is – now that they were able to get at least one point out of Washington – what is a good um, outcome for this Ducks team off of this road trip? A good outcome in terms of wins and losses? Yes. Well, let's see. Is Buffalo still good? Is Buffalo still playing well? I don't think so. Yeah, so they play, they're going to play Buffalo Tuesday night by the time you're listening to this. They then play Columbus on Thursday. No, the Sabres are, are 26th in the league. Inexpected yeah. goals, 4%. I think you're going to correct me on the schedule. I'm like, damn, is, is, there, is there really a... Am I really looking at the wrong schedule here? No, but I think that they I think they can conceivably win the next two against Buffalo and Columbus. And then after that, I think it gets a lot more challenging with Pittsburgh. Um and I have I don't even know what to make of the Blues this year. Like are they good? 
I twenty third. Yeah, so like a good outcome probably is a split the rest of the way. Um, but I think they can do better than that potentially. Yeah, I mean, coming into this road trip, coming into tonight, I would have said if they could go two, two, and one throughout this road trip, picking up uh, wins in Buffalo and Columbus, or picking up a win in Buffalo and then a win either in Columbus or St. Louis, and then getting an overtime loss in the other one and loss to the Capitals, loss to the Penguins, I think that's an overall good outcome for this team with the current set of rosters, current slate of injuries. I mean, the Ducks were able to get this uh, shootout win or shootout loss, sorry the Capitals. So if they could potentially make it a 3-1-1 road trip, I think that would be a huge win. I think that they need to, if if you're looking at it from the perspective of make the playoffs, keep it going, that type of stuff, a win tomorrow would be huge. They, they have to beat Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, well, also Columbus. I mean, is Columbus a team that you should expect them to be? Well, I, I more so the, the reason for Buffalo is that you have back-to-backs. If you're able to yeah. get three out of possible four points against Washington and Buffalo, that sets you up really nicely for the rest of the trip. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, so want to get in some questions? Anything else you want to add from the past week? Anything moving forward? Well, I guess the big thing is just looking out for the Getzlav situation because he is described as week-to-week. Yeah, which... we, we haven't really discussed that. He got hurt against the Kings uh was put on ir so the earliest that he could return i believe would be against columbus if he was healthy enough to return them but doesn't necessarily sound like it mm-hmm. yeah so so we shall see with that yep and adam Enrique, i don't know if there's actually any information on how it's bad just upper injury. body yeah uh so who knows we'll see hopefully it's not too long so that the lineup becomes more fun again um but let's get into some questions so we're gonna start with discord so uh, one of the things actually that happened this past week is Jack Hughes got his extension. So, um, we got a question from, uh, Gerg saying, is the Hughes extension a good measurement for, of what Zegris is going to get as an extension? Similarish players and they have the same agent. Yes. The answer is yes to that. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if you think about maybe what Zegris doesn't have in terms of the draft pedigree, I think he makes up for in terms of his importance to the franchise. Yeah. So Jack Hughes, for those that, that would have missed it, he got, what was it? Eight times eight, eight years, 8 million AAV. So a a chunk of change, but something that could look like a a good deal for the devils, you know, once they hit the stride, it could could look like a good deal. And here's the thing. I, I think the important thing for everyone to think about with this, when we're discussing this, uh, deal is that there are going to be some people that say, well, Jack Hughes only has 55 points in the history or in his career. He doesn't have the production. Well, clearly Sorry. they're not paying him for that. Right? Yeah. 56 <laughs> points in his NHL career, four points in five games this year, 31 points last year. And so they're like, where, where's the protection in the past to pay him? And I think the biggest thing here is to switch your mindset and the way that you think about this, because the NHL is so dead set on paying guys for past production that you completely miss on what you're actually paying for. When you give a guy a contract, you're paying him that amount for the his performance over those seasons. And we constantly say it over, like, you look at Corey Perry and say he was overpaid in his last couple of years. Like, no shit. He got paid for his MVP because of the way that he played over his five-year uh, contract after his ELC. And, and so, essentially, what you're doing is you're paying your best players and you're optimizing your roster by giving the most money to the guys throughout their prime scoring years. And so by the time Jack Hughes' contract is up, he'll be right around kind of 30, something in that range. Yeah. And um, and then you can figure out if you want to extend him or you almost just cut bait if you need to if his game is starting to decline. and you Or you go to, because he's already gotten his big money contract, right? 
Because a lot of times the reason why guys want to get paid at 28, 29, 30 is they've been, uh, uh, what's the best way to put it? Thrown around by teams. Um, is that a good way to put it? And uh, been nickel and dimed by the RFA system that they want to cash in and get the most money they can on their biggest deal. And so what you're seeing here is that instead of that, Jack Hughes might not actually take that, uh, um, might not want a max deal because he's already had that. And maybe he's willing, he's going to take a shorter term deal as a result of that. And that might be where the game goes. Once guys get 27, 28 years old, um, they're able to then, they start taking two, three-year deals instead of getting eight-year deals. And that's where the market goes. And so I think if you're a Ducks fan, this is a deal I would be looking at because if Trevor Zegers continues this pace, yeah, eight million AAV is is phenomenal value. If this is who he's going to be, yeah, or I should say, if this is the minimum of who he's going to be, yeah. Um, and I mean, you also got to consider like that the Devils are pretty data driven. I mean, they have Matt Cain working for them, who used to have who used to publish uh, contract projections that we I remember using on different podcasts. So if they're doing that, you can probably rest assured that they see the value from the team side as well. Yeah. And I think they're looking at it from the way we're, we're talking about it. I think the real question is, is that because this will be an RFA negotiation is how do the ducks view it? Because this is a negotiation and the ducks might have their standpoint of, they don't want to pay or give term to a guy that doesn't have the, the pedigree that a guy does when he hits UFA status that the Ducks just have never necessarily paid their RFAs coming off an ELC. Well, you, there is there is one big difference now, Jake. The market is very different, and uh, offer sheets are now happening? Uh, sure, that those things are true, but uh, one Bob Murray is no longer the general manager. Fair, fair point, fair <laughs> point. So uh, that all leads me to say I, I think that this is a, a starting point. I think that he could get eight times eight. I think you could also see the Pedersen deal, the three-year bridge, uh, as being an option. Well, I guess what would be better for the team? I think to me what's better for the team is the eight by eight. Term, right? term, 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 term. Term exactly. is better for the team. Like the Pedersen deal is, is not going to end up being great for the Canucks because nope. they're going to have to pay him again, and then they're going to get the term – and that term is going to well, extend further into when he's and, not as much in his prime. Well, here's the issue with the Pet- that here's the actual issue with the Pedersen deal. He can just accept the they're going to offer him a qualifying offer. Right? There's no way they don't. He can just accept the qualifying offer and then he becomes a UFA at the end of it. Yeah. And so. just leave leave Vancouver for nothing. So there's the issue with giving guys a, a three year deal. By the way, Jim Jim Benning also out. So yeah. his handiwork coming through there. Yep, so that's why you want term. Because, uh, yeah, and, and the Ducks were not exactly kind to Trevor Zegers last year with screwing around with his... I mean, uh, the franchise made it public that they were actually nickel and diming him. Yeah. Like, like this is... <laughs> you can't even dispute it. They were making it known via their PR... Sorry, the broadcast, that they were manipulating the number of games he was playing so that they didn't have to pay him... They didn't have to pay him until further down the line, which, by the way fully within the team's rights. Like I am not at all knocking them for that. Like if you are the team, you got to do what you can to put yourself in the best position. But if you're the player, you're not, that's not, you're not engendering any kind of uh, sympathy from the that player. can come back to come back to bite you when it comes to negotiations. You don't want to screw over your star. Correct. Correct. So, uh, I mean, Christian J asked, you think he, uh, Zegers would get that though. I feel like the Hughes contract is bad for Zegers cause it would give him a ceiling. I mean that that's the negotiation aspect of it. If you're Zegers and you're producing like this, it's more beneficial to him to take the three-year deal. Yes, correct. So yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I think at 
it, it could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I lean towards this being a good thing, but you know, everybody's different. Like, what does that specific player see for themselves? What kind of, how do they want to appro- approach their contract negotiations? Like, it really does part of it come down to the individual as well and yep. just how they want to go about it. So, yep. Uh, yeah. And I mean, Zegers, I think it was, when was the the interview about that? I forgot what podcast it was on, but Zegers was interviewing and, and mentioned something about that. Him, he was asked about him and Drysdale playing the exact amount of games, same amount of games last year. Uh-huh. And that, that makes them eligible for the Rook Calder this year. And basically he was like, yeah, isn't it funny that him and I played the exact same amount of games? And he's like, <laughs> me, me and Drysdale definitely noticed that or something like that. And he was like, yeah, it was some contract thing. I don't know. Yeah, let's just so say he, that, he, let, he let, definitely he definitely knows and just didn't want to publicly complain about it. I mean, it, it's it's very it's a very interesting time for the Ducks because like Murray's gone, and I really believe that a lot of this stuff that we saw yeah. was Murray driven. I mean, at least yeah. I would, I think so. Yeah. Um, so we'll see now, like how that will change things. Yep. Might, might make things easier. All right. Olaf is berserker said with the results so far this season, should the team be employing more of a platoon with Gibson and Stolars? Yes, they always should be. Yeah, <laughs> Gibson plays a lot, and I mean tomorrow, like it seems like Stolarz is basically only starting in back to backs right now. Yeah, I mean, but, Stol- but, but Stolarz week- has played six games this year. Yeah, it feels like this week though we might see his his usage go up just because, yep. like, I mean, how many games are they going to make Gibson play this week? Just- yep. And Will asked, uh, this is all from Discord, by the way. So any patron, there's now the podcast questions uh, channel. So use that if you want to throw questions in. Uh, will the first line in shambles, uh, or the first line, quote unquote, being in shambles, uh, or with that being in shambles, do you have the Milano, Zegers, Raquel as the de facto first? And, or would you do that and then have Terry play with Lundestrom on the second? Yeah. So I think his question is with the first line being in shambles. So with. Yeah. Getzlav, Henrik, Terry gone. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I, I think that's what's happening already. I mean, you saw the ice time breakdown tonight. Well, but w- would you have Terry with Lundestrom? Yes, I, I would because I think that those three are the next three best forwards on this team, and the drop-off in talent is so immense after that that I think you're better off just having a legit, as legit as you can, second line, and then just figuring it out with the rest and just trying to make it work. Yep. Uh, agreed. All right. So now we're going to get into the question that I got from a DM from Christian, uh, W1707. Uh, I had thrown this out to DM me if you have questions, cause it's much easier for me to find on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but does this season show that the ducks shouldn't trade Gibson because they couldn't contend or they could be contending sooner than previously thought? I think it's a little less urgent to trade a John Gibson than some of the pending UFAs, which I'm sure we'll have questions about, uh, because like his, deal it probably gets easier to move as time goes on like i feel like part like is his deal at a positive value or a negative value when you're trying to trade him positive you think so mm-hmm. the fact that he signed through what is it 2027 doesn't i mean if you're a team that doesn't give you any pause oh if i'm the team yes but knowing how nhl gms are they'll view it as cost certainty okay so let's just view it that way like that's not necessarily going away like he's he's signed to that deal, so I think that the urgency to move him is not really there for the rebuild. Though I mean, this like the Ducks are going to need good goaltending when they're good again, which they're good right now. But this isn't their final form. So I've never been one that's been super on the bus of trading Gibson. 
this season doesn't really change anything for me. Like if there's a good deal to be made that can really help the roster, you still do it. Maybe you, you are more willing now to hold on to him because you want to give your team good goaltending uh, when it's competing for a, a Stanley cup. But I, I guess I could see it both ways would be my answer. So my answer actually is no, this year actually has done the opposite. <laughs> That, really? <laughs> that this has shown that the Ducks should be more open to trading Gibson because, well, yes, he obviously has been good in moments throughout this year. The numbers actually don't bear out that he's been that great. And, and I think the important thing to note there is that, while yes, he's made some of these outstanding saves that maybe other goalies in the league cannot make. He's also allowed some goals that he shouldn't. And I think that's what evens itself out, and that's why his GSAX ends up around where it's at. And yeah. why he's essentially almost as straight zero. He's, I think, at 0.94. And so the big thing is that the Ducks have been doing all of this with not stellar goaltending. And that's, I think, the most impressive thing of the run. I mean, Gibson's at 9.15. Well, so like, on, on the balance, he's not been bad. Like, he hasn't been an actual drag but he's just been barely above break even. Like, yeah, ex- exactly. Been this big positive. Yeah. And, and so that's why in my head, I'm like, I'm viewing this and I'm viewing how they're playing. And if Gibson still has high trade value, then that makes it even more reason to trade him because they're doing this with him, not necessarily performing at an all-star level. And the narrative is going to be, Oh, he's been great and everything like that. Cause that's just kind of where it's at, but he has a nine fifteen save percentage. So just from that perspective, not even looking at advanced metrics, like it's not like this stellar save percentage. Anthony Stollers has a better save percentage than him, but yeah. sample I mean, size there. And you know, and I feel like this hurts the argument that people were trying to make the last few years when I would say, Oh, John Gibson's numbers are bad. Is that, how could you possibly say that? Look at who he's playing behind Corbinian Holzer. Uh, look how bad the team is. And it's like, okay, well, this year, I mean, his expected save percentage, so in terms of, like, the environment he's in is top 25. Like, he's in a, yeah. better, he's in a better environment and, now than he's ever been. I mean, maybe this is the best environment he's been in as a full-time starter, and this has been the most lackluster he's been. And I'm not saying he's been bad, but, like, he has definitely not been the John yeah, Gibson that we've and, seen. And, like, Hardcore Lutcher said, did you see the first period in this game uh, in terms of how good okay, Gibson was? Actually, and, just just to quickly correct myself for someone else says, the best environment he was in was 16-17. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I was going to jump in there, but, yes. you know. Yeah, I say I myself. Ju- yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but the the first period that that uh, from this game, like, yes, and, and that's my point here, is that Gibson's had strong saves, and he has had strong performances and periods of that, but overall on the whole there are lulls in his performance and and i think that it comes out and so just because a guy is is making good and big saves doesn't necessarily reflect his entire play well that's the thing with gibson is and and with goaltending in general is that it is definitely perception versus reality and Mm -hmm. when you see the big saves when the team really needs them in the first period you're thinking wow he's amazing and in the moment he is but then on the balance of the night if he actually lets in a couple bad ones or just a couple not great ones that you'd like to see saved, then how much did those great saves matter in the end, right? It's kind of a wash. And yeah. that's basically what he's been this season. He's been capable of the highest of highs and at times the lowest of lows. And that is, maybe you're right. Maybe this should embolden you to trade him because he, you know, because the, the name brand is still there. But I think that even just having goaltending like this, like I think this is as bad as he's going to be if he's going to be bad at all. Having that kind of certainty in net is probably still yeah, a good thing for a team sure. that, and, like, that's trying to be good. Christian J, who I believe was the person who had the the Twitter DM question, said, "But Gibson does still have the ability to turn into that top five goalie at any season because goalies are voodoo." I'm like, "Yeah, that's a that's a fair point." And if you want to make one for the playoffs, yeah. yeah, 
And I, I think that's a valid point. I think that because goalies are voodoo, you also might be able to pluck someone out of nowhere and have them come in and have a good playoff run. But yeah. it's that's more so playing with you, chance. You, you already have one of the guys who seems to have a pattern that yeah. you can kind of live with, and there is something to the devil you know. Mm-hmm. And John Gibson can be amazing. So I I would actually lean towards keeping him, but I could Com- completely I, I can see, fair. I can see the other side as well. Completely fair. All right, so now we're getting into questions from the Twitch chat. So I've seen some questions already, so we'll get to those. But if you have any other ones, throw them in the Twitch chat. But uh, for those who are on YouTube, yes, go check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash CrashPond. Uh, hit subscribe, hit like, hit that bell for that notification. Uh, or on your favorite podcast services, you can check us out, though, at uh, twitch.tv slash CrashPond, where you can watch us live and enjoy any of the images that I put on the screen. You can watch us uh, debate. You can watch Felix uh, laugh or, or kind of look incredulous at various points of time. And you can also support the show. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. And you can be just like Heyo Flow, who resubbed for 13 months. So thank you so much. Okay. Uh, so Pushhead2 has a legit que- uh, said legit question. What is the plan for replacement for Getzloff next year if he hangs them up. I worry we're going to be stuck with a 2010-2011 type of roster all over again. Okay, so I wasn't following the Ducks at that point in time, so the reference might be a little lost on me. Care to care to fill me in? Uh, yeah. I mean that lot. That was the ultimate like one line team for the Ducks. Okay. Uh, 2010-2011. That was like pre Kyle Palmieri, Nick Benino, all those guys starting to be able to come in and, and make the roster. I mean, they did have Saku Koivu. So uh, I, I guess I would I would say that that is not going to be the case for one because I think you already know you've got Zegers Milano and like assuming this continues you've got one line you can bank on and I think that you can bank on another line because even though Troy Terry is not a center as long as you just put him with NHL level talent with all due respect to Sam Steele and Vinny Letary I think that you can have a decent to good second line with, I mean, with him on there. If Admin Reek stays, you could realistically have a Comtois Henrique Terry line. Yeah, exactly. Like Max Comtois is going to come back, and I think down the middle, and then you go further down the middle. Like who would be the second line center next year? Let's let's just say that Getzlaff hangs them up because you. I mean, it could be Mason McTavish. Could be Mason McTavish. You've got Isaac Lindstrom, who I mean, it seems like they want him as the third line center as the shutdown guy. Maybe McTavish makes the jump. Um, you, so you, I don't think it's it's not as bad as that situation you're describing sounds like. Like they have guys who are going to be on the upswing, and look at some point, it, it doesn't seem to be happening this year so far. But Bo Grew will take a step forward. Maybe he can kind of help fill up that depth. So it might not be in terms of name brand value. It might not be as exciting, but I think they can still have a competent forward core for next year. And look, this is all. Like, we still don't know what kind of trades are going to be made and what kind of signings they're going to make as well. And also, I want to add in here, I think Getzloff plays at least another year or two, especially if this team makes well, yeah. the playoffs. This is all the hypothetical he's coming back, which doesn't seem to be very likely. Although, like, you know, he got hurt. We don't know how you know how that's going to affect him moving forward. Like, the, the body's kind of a fickle thing at his age. But assuming he can keep this going, then, yeah, I, I think he comes back next year. Yeah. Our good buddy Dan Elder said, question for you, Felix. Will you be his winger on Wednesday? Uh, no, because I'm not in town. But also, <laughs> usually I'm playing D anyway So when I am playing. So I I don't know. But yeah. the, the answer is no, though. Thatcher Alt uh, asked, and these are all just out there questions, not even having to do with hockey, but you know, it is what it is. We're, we're, we're men of the people. Uh, yes. What microphones do you guys use? 
Oh, do I get to answer this or do you want to take it? Since, you can. Uh, you can. Uh, I want to make sure I get the name right. Is it? It's a it's a HyperX Quadcast. HyperX, yes, gaming Quadcast S, the the S version. And, yeah. And uh, I will give Jake credit. He was the first one between us two to get get it. And I realized, you know, I was getting frustrated with my Amazon Basics microphone. Rez, why don't we why don't we match? Why don't we have the the same exact setup? It'll be more aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, and shout out to Winterborn uh, from our Discord who uh, is over at uh, HyperX and recommended it. And yeah, yeah I'm very, I'm very product. happy. I'm very happy with it. So if, yep. if, if you're a podcaster listening to this and you're on the market for a new mic, get this one. Yep, yep. Hey, Odiflo said, "Is there anything that can explain why Gibson has been far better shorthanded than at five on five this year?" So this is something kind of uh, Mike has been tracking and kind of messages me about every once in a while, but. Uh, John Gibson's numbers at, uh, are like, he's well above average on the penalty kill. And the interesting thing with evolving hockey's model is that they model different strength states, uh, separately. And so if you look at shorthanded, he's at 5.95, uh, GSAX, Mm -hmm. whereas at even strength, he's at negative 4.55. Yeah. That disparity is pretty wild to me, but yeah. Do I, do I get to play this card right now? Do I do I get to play it? What? As a former goalie, as a as a former goalie, I will say this, just from the the athlete's perspective. Uh you know, shorthanded is a completely different game as a goalie, and it's the same thing kind of for skaters because it's a much more defined environment, right? You're 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 tracking for very specific things, and some guys like Gibson who are so explosive athletically may just do better in a scenario like that because it's less about you know, it, it's less about staying within the flow of the play within the five on five game and just more so being ready for that next chance. And so maybe that's why he's doing better. I also think it's just kind of variance. Like these things can happen over a small sample. Um, I think that Gibson's style and the way he plays just lends itself better to trying to stop those more dangerous chances than maybe the ones that seem a little more harmless or the medium range shots that you see at more so at five on five. So I think that that's a hype. That's just a theory. I don't, we would have to dive way into it to know we could maybe get some goalie people on the show to, to talk that through, but it is a great question. And honestly, I, I can only speculate as to what the answer is. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, there's no real actual hard data that we have except for just the data showing that it's different. So it, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think it might be a little bit sample size driven. We're talking 75 minutes. Well, it's at, just at, so stark, right? Like, that's yeah, the thing. but 75 minutes at, at, uh, at shorthanded versus 982 at five on five. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're looking at global like GSAX, I think that it doesn't necessarily uh, lend itself to have comparisons with those differences in time on ice. And so you're talking negative 0.66 differential save uh, Fenwick save percentage at even strength, whereas uh, shorthanded plus 5.59. So, I mean, there's a pretty big difference there, but it he's been close to average at five on five while above average at, on the, uh, at shorthanded mm-hmm. situation. So, uh lewis x209 said question for felix will jake eat crow and he said i don't know what this means full disclosure i was okay i was actually going to say one more thing on the goaltending thing that i just just hit me so i think and maybe this isn't true anymore but i think that when you're at five on five versus the penalty kill i think that there's less adjusting of your depth in the net so at five on five 
you're doing a lot more of coming out, coming back in because there's just play coming in and leaving your zone. But at five, but at shorthanded, you're more set in your net and you tend to be a little deeper because you're you're trying to adjust for bounces or deflections. And so for Gibson, maybe that just works better for him. Okay. Yeah. Um, will Jake eat crow? I mean, I think I think we're leaning that way. I think he will have to eat crow at some point. What What am I eating crow about? I really want to tell you because it's not even an exciting answer. Like it's just about one of these things that we nitpick and debate about. But at this point, I kind of want to just make this a bit of me never actually saying what it is and just keeping. This I, going. I don't. I don't like this. Well, so okay. Here's here's the. I'll just tell you the origin. Oh, thank uh, you, thank you. So tonight, <sighs> you were very incredibly critical of the lineup and and how the first period went and this and that. And oh, okay, were, th- this is this is what I figured. You were calling for Aiken's head in our Discord chat. I I was I was not <laughs> I was not that was other people. I think I said jokingly, "Is this Aiken's last game coaching the Ducks?" Um, but I anyway. think it was Charbonneau who said yes. Yeah. <laughs> But so, but this lineup, I mean, this very same lineup turned things around in the next 40 minutes and did not win the game, but almost did. So will you eat crow now on that critique? No, because they still <laughs> like, it still was a poor Shock, decision. Shocker, shocker. It was still a poor decision. But I mean, it, it, it statistically worked out fine. Uh, uh. I mean, I mean, you could, I mean, your obvious counter, which you haven't used is, well, it could have been better. Yeah. But yes, you you will eat crow, I believe, soon. No, there's no need. No, stop. Uh, Ginger Wolf asks. <laughs> you're, you're actually a little. With, with a little. the re-breakout season Kasha is having, and with new management who values analytics, are the Ducks in on getting him back if Toronto doesn't giving him, give him a qualifying offer, asking for his friend? Ginger Wolf is one of the biggest Kasha fans there is. I mean, I would love to see a Kasha return to the, the Ducks. Maybe that with Jeff Solomon being in that more analytics friendly role maybe but we don't even yet know who the ducks next gm will be yeah so i mean do you want to talk about that for like 20 seconds i mean it's really not a whole lot but the lebron article today the lebron article which added nothing and just said the ducks are compiling a name of gms it added something which we didn't know which is that they haven't actually communicated with anyone yet but they do have a list that's it yeah that's the report yeah uh let's see uh, oh, so Pushhead, by the way, said in 2010-2011, that was when they had Koivu, Solani, Blake behind uh, Perry, Getzloff, Ryan. I mean, so that actually not horrible. Yeah, no, it sounds, wasn't as horrible. It sounds fine. I mean, older Saku Koivu. I think the defense was. wasn't as great. I think that was kind of the issue there. I also yeah. think that was just Randy Carlisle being Randy Carlisle and then getting fired. And then Bruce Boudreau came in and turned the team around and had them actually playing a lot better. Yep. They got, they like, that team, I think, came back from, like, 16 or 17 points out of the playoffs to getting, when Bruce came in, to being like two points out at one point. Like it's oh, kind of uh, insane. Well, it's also Bruce. Yeah. But uh Fatral has said who has a higher who has higher trade value, Steele or Larson? Oh my god. Oh, Sam uh, Steele and it's easy. I mean, it's got to be Steele, right? It's I mean, easy sorry, Steele. Just hearing those two names triggers <laughs> me a little bit, but yeah, it's got to be Steele. Yeah. He's in the NHL. Uh Lewis X209 said question, you can only have 3 pizza toppings on a pizza for the rest of your life. What are they? Oh, that's easy. Pepperoni, green bell pepper, and mushroom. Uh, is, is, cheese a, is cheese a topping? No. Cheese is... Cheese is, uh, cheese is assumed? Yeah, cheese is assumed. Uh, I'm going to just go bold and just straight up do uh, jalapeno, ham, and pineapple. Wow. that That is not a good choice. Not a good choice. Sorry. Yeah. It's a great choice. Pushing back. 
Yeah. Okay. Who, okay. Uh, let's see. What was this question? Oh, yeah. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. Should we probably talk about? Oh, sorry. This was talking about Christian J brings up with if you look at Perot's hockey prospecting profile versus Raquel, then you'll feel you feel a lot better about losing Raquel because Jacob Perot is kind of set to fill that role. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk today. I'm surprised we didn't get a question about this, about, you know, does that line... Because people ask me this on Twitter, so I guess I'll just address it. Does yeah, it this make, was, me bringing up hockey prospecting in some ways was me uh, setting th- you up for that. Does it make it harder to trade uh, Raquel? And I think, no, it doesn't, because at the end of the day, that contract has a chance to age very poorly or just be hard to move out of. Like, you look at the Henrik and Silverberg deals, and... I think that what Zegers and Milano are showing is that on their just that pairing should be good enough to where you can plug plug someone else's or could be a Jacob Perot and be fine. Like you still need to go out and get more pieces for this rebuild. Like this year is great. This year shows you confidence in the young core, but you don't want to buy all the way in. Like no. it, it, like they are playing well, legitimately well, but I think you still got to have the long the long term vision. Do you do you need to just get your thoughts out and opinions out though on what you were tagged in a bunch today? Speaking of hockey prospecting, why are you why are you trying to ruin my my evening here? <laughs> I'm just trying to set you up to allow you to, to vent to people because you know you got tagged by a bunch of people. You know, uh, so, trying trying to give well, you a platform. Supposedly, supposedly, if if you were critical of Jamie Drysdale last year, like you're an idiot. Like that's that's what I'm hearing. Um, so we ha- we have literally had Byron Bader on on this show. So we know how his system works, how his model yeah, works. We we legitimately have asked him questions about the model. We pay for his stats. Like we are fans, we love what he does, and I think it is an incredibly valuable tool, which especially in draft season, I lean heavily on uh, to kind of guide who to look for. With all of that said, I think that specifically when guys get to the NHL, it is. It, it starts, it, it still is helpful in terms of predicting how these guys are going to produce. But by the time they're in the NHL, we have so many more data points to evaluate guys off of in terms of on ice impact, their, real, their, their defensive game that just simply points do not real, capture. Real quick before you keep going, because you're on a good rant and you can keep going. I realized I never actually set up where this came from. So Byron Bayer put out a tweet yeah, today uh, saying that Jamie, look at Jamie Drysdale with now, because Byron Bader starting to incorporate uh, the current season data into his model. And Jamie Drysdale is now projecting out at 91st percentile. And did you know that he's 19? Um, and Why are so, you doing this right now? Why are you doing this to me? And so let's just say that Felix and I both got tagged by a lot of people because both of us have been critical at times of Jamie Drysdale and his play at five on five. Well, so anyway, so all this to say that that model heavily relies on points. I think points and the, the NHL E and games played versus age, that's basically the only inputs and it makes for a good model. Like if you look historically at the success rate on Bader's numbers, they're good. But I do think, and this is something I've always said, it is slightly less useful for defensemen because I don't really care quite as much about point production for defensemen. We've seen point-producing defensemen maybe be not the most actually impactful at 5-on-5. Five five. And so for Jamie Drysdale last year, right, I simply pointed out the fact that his numbers were atrocious and that maybe the, the Ducks were rushing him along a little bit, which, of course, led to an outpouring of pushback saying that, oh, He's 18. How dare you? 
Uh, you hate kids. Uh, you know, you're, you're rushing to judge him. And I just said, look, that the numbers are just not great. Maybe they need to think about this a little more. And last year he played what? He played 24 games. So, okay, fine. Small sample. Say, say what you like. By the way, the num- the the model for Byron Bader liked him last year as well, which is something that maybe people aren't aware of. But like, he still looked very good. He, he produced well in the AHL. Exactly, like he was already doing great there, and I was aware of that. That did not change my opinion. I still th- like what I said last year. People took that as me saying he's never going to be good. Never said that once. I just said early returns. This is what they are. Fast forward to this year, we're now twenty six more games in. So now we're at fifty games into his career. So I guess now because he's been better, which he has, that the small sample thing doesn't matter anymore, right? Oh, 24 games. That's too little. Don't want to judge him. Oh, but now that he's at 50 and he's playing well, look at you and how wrong you were, right? Like, do you see the the flaws in the logic here that people are employing? The one thing that I do want to point out here, because I think this is lost in a lot of this conversation, is just because you're critical of someone's play as of right now in terms of the way that he's playing now doesn't necessarily mean that he's still not going to project out to be a good player. And I think that's the thing that's being missed a lot in this conversation that you yeah, and I are tagged I, in. I, I, is firmly, that... I firmly stand by every single thing I said. Like, nothing that I said was inaccurate and never said that he wasn't going to be good, which is what you're trying to say here. Wait, what? <laughs> I No, what you're trying to explain is that us saying he wasn't good. Got it, got it. I thought you... Doesn't you mean, yeah. I thought you were trying to say that I... Yeah, so yeah, it, it no, doesn't. Yeah. That that's not what that means, and I think that that's what Byron Bader's mall is trying to show. It's not Byron Bader's mall isn't meant to say what this player is right now. It's meant to say what will this player be when he enters his prime scoring Here, years of twenty four years old. Here's the reality. Old. Here's the reality. And that Christian Chase, Christian Chase has apology accepted from you. I'm not apologizing for anything because <laughs> there's nothing to apologize for. Here, here's the thing: fans of teams are protective of their prospects. It's like a little family, right? And when someone says that your kid on the soccer team isn't as good as the other kid, then people don't like that. And last year, Jamie Drysdale had his great moments, memorable moments, but wasn't a positive for the Ducks. And this year, I have made sure to note that he has been much, much better. And I even said last year, and I said this during the offseason, and I know it's hard for people to do their homework, but I said that I still, like long-term, that all of the tools are still there where you can mm-hmm. see him become a good top four guy. I said, maybe the, the ceiling might be a little lower, but the tools are all still there. So, you know, if people want to have the gotchas, like at least do your homework, at least, at least have basic reading comprehension. Like, I think that that is such a lost art on Twitter. Um, it's anyway, this is now just me pretty much venting, but you know, that's what people sign up for here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, Dan Elder says, I can't believe this ha- had to happen on the last night of Hanukkah. Last night of Hanukkah was last night. <laughs> Dan, wow, wow, bad good friend, good good friend over there. Now I actually am double checking this because now I don't want to be gotcha'd. I mean the the gotchas the what, what's the other one? Wait, no, what? tonight is. Did I skip? Somehow I skipped tonight. What? I'm so confused. What night of Hanukkah? Is Which it? night did I skip? Yeah, dude, you just I lost track of nights. You, you tried to dunk on our our good friend Dan only to out wait, yourself as not what? aware that this is the last wait, night of Hanukkah. Now I'm like trying to go through my head. <laughs> Which night did I skip? Did you miss a candle? I, no, because I didn't. Li- I for, no, I lit eight yesterday. Maybe, maybe I lost track. Okay, I also want to point out, like I I just got now, got. Now, I just now, got got. Now people, so to our Twitch chat, 
I am not like when I'm all this complaining I'm doing is not directed at you guys. You guys are, you guys are like you bring me joy in all of this, right? You are the you Which are the fun loving members of our community. It's it's more so the reply guys that I have on Twitter that I'm referring to. How I'm so lost. Jake is just in shambles here. I think your faith now has to be fully in question. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. No, 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 no. No, this is There's, not. You, you, you can't. You can't slither your way no, out of this. No, the first night was the twenty eighth. Second night was the 29th. Third night was the thirtieth. Fourth night was the first. Fifth night the second. Sixth night the third. Seventh night the fourth. Fifth, uh, eighth night the fifth. There are eight nights of Hanukkah. I don't know, man. I mean, Google like just completely disagrees with you. Yeah, I. There's no way. Okay, so what are the eight days of Hanukkah 2021? No, there's no. Uh, eight, it's eight nights. Seven days, eight nights. Now, yeah. Gabe Green saying Jake the fake. I don't know, dude. You're. I. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to claim to know anything about this topic, but it sounds like you're way off here. No. Like, it, okay. It that, no. 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 It says it ends lasts until sundown on Monday, December sixth. Well, so last you, last night was wrong. the last night. No, no, I wasn't. Last night was the last night of Hanukkah. Hanukkah ended uh, at sundown today. Yeah, but that's still like it was like sundown is dark, right? Yeah, like, it, it's, it's, but Hanukkah is all about the nights. It's eight okay. nights. Well, I I can't say that I care very much about this topic. So, with all due respect, with all all due respect, all. All, uh, <laughs> all right. I, I at least feel better now that I didn't miss an, I didn't skip a night of candles. Yeah, you, you were, you were in a bad way there. I, <laughs> I was. I feel you, at you least were, better about you myself. Were, you were scrambling there for a second. I feel much better about myself at I, least now. I, I was, I was worried about you. Yeah. Oh, let's end with this. Ken Paffey says, according to Adam Sandler, it's eight crazy nights. So, well, well, okay. There you go. Did, did you want to add anything? I'm, you know, I just don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> slip slip over anything. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave this there. I'm doing this for you, Jake. I'm doing this for you. Out, of, right. respect, out of respect and deference to you, uh, I'll take it. I'll and take the, it. And the great people of Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> How is this oh. where we ended up? Anything else you want to add? Anything you want to say about oh. Halo? <laughs> <laughs> so, you actually beat me to it. I was going to say one thing. I was listening to a podcast last night, and they did a recommendations portion, which we used to do, I think. We used to do way back in the day. Like, what I did, don't know. What did we used to do? Recommendations. Like We would recommend something at the end of the show. Like, we what, did? I know we've done it before. Like, okay. If, if you search the, the annals... Is that how you say annals? Don't want to say that. <laughs> Be <Don't>. careful there. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to say that wrong. Um, if you search the annals of our show, I think you will find shows where we did the uh, the the recommendations. So, Jake, what are you recommending right now? Could be a show. Could be uh, you know a video game. Could be a food uh, item. G- I'll recommend something. All right. Well, with the fact that Hanukkah just ended, You're I'm going to recommend Judaism. I- I'm gonna recommend yeah. Hanukkah. <laughs> like, where's this going here? I'm gonna recommend latkes. Oh, okay. So here's my question about latkes. Do you still eat them like outside of the holiday, or is it no. a holiday specific I, thing? If I'm at a Jewish deli, I might get them, but I don't make them uh, unless uh, unless it's Hanukkah. Okay. Okay. Got it. They're so very. Recommend- they're they're, they're recommending very- something you eat seven nights of the year. 
a one night. Wow. So there you go. Not but even. they're delicious. Why it's don't the, you make them more often? Because it's, so it, it, it's smelly. Oh, God. Our well, chat is uh, all over you right now. Well, it's, they're spelling it wrong. I think, <laughs> I think there's two N's in annals. Um, okay, well, my recommendation. Hmm, this is really difficult. It, would it be would it be just a bad recommendation if I recommend Halo Infinite because no. we've been playing so much? I left that one for you. Okay, well, here's one thing I do want to recommend. So, great friend of the show, that guy Bobski. I watched his Twitch stream last night, so he has a Twitch stream as well. And I gotta say, watching him do Flight Simulator and crash his plane was one of the funniest things i've ever seen like what was it was it better than the the clip that lives in infamy of you saying i'm coming in hot in Warzone, and then you just not pulling shoot and the my pov of it's fantastic i was laughing very hard and i'm got i don't i don't really laugh like that very often so it was it was very good so i'll just recommend that guy bobski's twitch stream there you go oh Um, wait i'm gonna also i have another recommendation okay uh, the Ordinaire in Long Beach uh, does a Christmas setup for their dinner. It's very hard to get reservations. It was went there last night. It was amazing. It was so cool. The entire place is decked out. The drinks are all like Christmas named. They had like a gingerbread old fashioned. There was a tequila drink that my wife got in. A, it was a T-Rex mug with Santa on it. Wow. It wow. was amazing. It was so, so cool. So, there we go. Recommendation there. Oh, Dan Elder saying bars reservation fee so f- uh, free. So anyone in Long Beach, go to or- the Ordinaire during the holidays. I have a recommendation. I'm going to recommend a, a city. So over the weekend, I visited Pacifica, California, which is in NorCal. It's a, it's a beach town. Went up to the beach, and it was quite nice. It's The beaches in NorCal are completely different from SoCal, like way more nature big hills. So tried that out. Swam in the water. It was only surfers in... in uh, wetsuits jake and i still went and swam no wetsuit yeah you're water, crazy you're the, a crazy the person the water was 52 degrees 54 degrees and like i went underneath into the water and i i thought i was gonna lose like i was losing feeling rapidly uh but it was great i, f- I came out of it feeling like a million bucks so there you go check out pacifica cold water we love cold water on the show <laughs> we do <laughs> <laughs> Are you, oh, I, I guess this is a good question for you. This is my question to the podcast. Are you a water temp guy? Or, sorry, a room temp water guy? Or are you ice Cold. in the water? Ice in the water. Room okay. temp, not as good. Yeah, I think that's the correct call. And now Salem's licking herself behind me. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. So I think Dan Elder's actually been there. There is a Taco Bell there, which I drove by. And I didn't see the Gorilla Barbecue. Stopped at an L&L Hawaiian Barbecue, so... LNL Hawaiian Barbecue Elite. It's very. This is good. how. Where is this podcast at right now? I feel like we're. Re- I feel like we're recording a Patreon. Yeah, that's, that's I, I think it's like. time for. Yeah, so if you enjoyed the last like five ten minutes, these are our Patreon episodes. I almost accidentally clicked out of our tab for our Streamyard. Well, that would have been, been fun bad. for me to try to land this ship. <laughs> okay, should we just get the hell out of here? Yeah. Okay. So thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoyed what we did today if you enjoy our show here are a few ways that you can support us so the number one way is to check out our patreon patreon.com slash crash the pond for a dollar a month you get access to our patrons only discord chat which is so much fun like we talked about i feel like we brought it up multiple times in the show uh one of the best ducks communities you'll find anywhere just really a fun time no one is trying to 
uh, bring anyone down. It's just a really fun, supportive community. Um, that's for a dollar a month. For $5 a month, you get access to two bonus episodes. So you get even more content than what we are providing you a month. And we'll go more in depth on league-wide topics. We will go and talk about, go even deeper on different Ducks topics. We'll do like player grades on those different shows. So those are really good. And you also get a little more banter, a little more unfiltered. You get some more juicy stuff than maybe we reveal on the regular show. So that's for $5 a month. And then for $15 a month, you can also get access to everything I just mentioned, but also two watch-alongs a month. So you can watch Ducks games with us, join a stream where you, we have a private YouTube chat, and those are a lot of fun. We give you stats, more of a breakdown as the game is happening as opposed to what you might be used to with the regular broadcast. And now we have a Salem the Black Cat appearance on Jake's screen. So very happy about that. She's mm-hmm. actually, wow, I'm surprised. She's not just jumping out of your arms right away. I know. This is this is kind of shocking. This, she just woke up from a nap. I feel like your you two's relationship must be must be improving if that's the case. My um, my oh stop. <laughs> hey, Adam loves me. It could go from good to great, Jake. You don't 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 assume the worst with what I'm saying. And there um, she went. There she goes <laughs> yep. to lick the blinds. <laughs> um and. So if you don't want to pledge any money a month, that's totally understandable. There's still ways to support us that are really easy and free to you. Search Crash the Pond on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. We will read it on the show. If nothing else, those just really, they make us feel like a million bucks. Hearing you guys' thoughts, hearing what you have to say about the show, we always get a great kick out of it. And like I said, we will read it. Um, that's on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify. And by the way, if we made it into your, like, if you're still listening, by the way, congratulations. But if we made it into your Spotify wrapped, if we made it into your top five podcasts, hell, if we were your top podcast, please let us know. I, I'm curious. We've gotten a couple. Yeah, we've gotten a couple. And like, it is a little bit of an ego stroke. I'm not going to lie. But it's also just cool to see like who's out there listening. Yeah. So, so if you've made it this far, please let us know if we made it to your Spotify wrapped. Okay. Outside of that, I mean, you can find us in all your podcast services. Check us out on YouTube. See the video of the show with the charts, with the cats, with Jake's background, with everything, really. Um, with our cool mics. Uh, that's at youtube.com slash crash the pond. Um, make sure to subscribe there and turn on the notifications. Outside of that, check out our website. So, I mean, it's getting to be that time. Holidays, you probably want to buy your loved ones, your friends gifts. So go to crashthepond.com slash shop and buy our cool hoodies and or t-shirts with our beautiful Crash the Pond logo on them. I think that it's a perfect gift for the diehard Ducks fan in your life. Oh, by the way, I just realized this guy's in the chat, so I want to give him a shout-out. Gabe Greenlee, uh, he deserves a shout-out for constantly replying to the Ducks whenever they use hashtag Troy Terry's very good, saying to to give the man his credit. So <laughs> just want to give him a shout-out. Yeah, yeah, some some good stuff going on in the chat right now. Um and then outside of that, yeah, just make sure to follow us on Twitter at Crash the Pond. Jake is on there at Reindeer Games 91. I'm on there at Felix Center Scores the Card. And I think, I hope that that is all of it. I think we covered everything here. Yep. This, that's it. I don't know how this, uh, I don't know how this made it. You to could two have hours. ended it right there and now you just continued it. I don't know how this show made it to two hours. I'm, <laughs> I apologize. I also don't really apologize because I think people enjoy it. So anyway, with all that being said, <laughs> have a great week, everybody. Bye, everyone. Happy ninth night of Hanukkah.